Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. This uh, episode is going to be a review of The Cabin at the End of the World by friend of the podcast, Paul Tremblay. Uh, we've known him for a very long time, and we love him. Livius, I, don't, I, I didn't tell you this, but I texted him after I finished reading the book yesterday. You did? I had to tell him how much I, how much I enjoyed it. I know I'm spoiling the review. But I was going to say, yeah, that's yeah. a little, little bit of a spoiler. I, I knew. Um, I was a little bit ahead of Rob on uh, on reading this. Uh, like, I'd finished it, I, I think, almost before he started. And I knew. I knew you were going to love it. I'm not going to spoil my yeah. review of it, though. Yeah. Um, I uh, I know that, you know, big day's coming up for him. So you guys are probably hearing this on Monday the 25th, maybe. Tuesday the 26th. Uh, Tuesday mm-hmm. is when this book comes out. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to having him on after he gets uh, through his initial blast of media stuff and readings or whatever he's doing so we could uh, discuss a little more at length maybe uh, about uh, this particular book. Yeah. Here is the bio for Paul Tremblay. Paul is the author of Disappearance at Devil's Rock and the World Fantasy Award nominated and Bram Stoker Award winning A Head Full of Ghosts. A Head Full of Ghosts has been optioned by Focus Features. He's also the author of the novels The Little Sleep, No Sleep Till Wonderland, Swallowing a Donkey's Eye, and Floating Boy and the Girl Who Couldn't Fly, which was co-written with Stephen Graham Jones. He is the author of the short story collection In the Meantime. His essays and short fiction have appeared in the Los Angeles Times and numerous years' best anthologies. He is the co-editor of four anthologies, including Creatures, 30 Years of Monster Stories with John Langan. Paul is on the board of directors for the Shirley Jackson Awards. He lives outside of Boston, Massachusetts, has a master's degree in mathematics, and has no uvula. Uvula. God damn it. I was thinking, did I get it right this time? Because <laughs> I feel like we've had this conversation before. Uvula. U- uvula. Yeah. I think that's that thing that they play when you're watching soccer that like has the like that <laughs> yeah, long horn. Yes, I think that's what it is too. <laughs> it's the dangly thing in the back of your throat, yeah, right? Yeah, your little punching bag. Yeah, or whatever. So I guess I guess why doesn't he have one? I mean, we have questions. Is that different than tonsils? I've never been able to. Sure, it is. Yeah, you have two tonsils, and they're like on the left and the right side of the uvula. Oh, and, and gotcha. I think they're actually like more attached than dangly gotcha you know what i I don't know i've never i always just thought that was what tonsils were so i don't know not like i knew it at one point i knew i was wrong but i never decided to figure out what the hell was right i just went on just not knowing what was going on all right we need to know now what the what the purpose (laughs) of of the uh, let's see paul's like some mutant uvula free yeah can you take out your uvula that's what you're quite can you take it out like i think they're asking like like a like you go back alley it. like uvula surgery what is it what does it do i don't want to watch a youtube video normally that's exactly what i would do is watch like an right. 18 minute youtube video to find out but that would probably be pretty boring with listeners let's see uh it's absolutely normal to have that weird thing hanging at the back of your throat according to this uh it's soft flap of tissue that hangs down at the edge of the throat or more specifically at the edge of the soft palate uh simply refer to it as the dangly thing at the back of the throat yeah yeah. dangly thing what does it do it's been studied for many (laughs) years by scientists and researchers jesus can you imagine that's your gig just to study the uvula you still Uh, on that uvula project yeah Yeah. it's precise roles and functions have not been determined with absolute certainty (laughs) great so there you go so like uh it doesn't matter that he doesn't have a uvula 
I guess it does. I mean, it matters enough to him that he felt the need Apparently. to put it in his bio. So now, and maybe it's like, um, so I, 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 I don't know how I discovered this exactly, but I don't know if you know this. Um, like people who are deaf, uh, don't necessarily consider themselves like handicapped or disabled. Um, is that, is that, have you ever heard anything like that? Um, I mean, no, I haven't, but I always kind of feel like typically people who have like a, um, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I don't want to say disability because they don't feel they're disabled, right? But what we would call a disability right. from birth. Like they're missing something that. It's like they don't know any better, essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, like, I guess for them, like in a community of people who are deaf, um, there's no, there's no, nothing holding them back from, you know, functioning normally because they have sign language. They have, you know, like, so they don't see themselves as being disadvantaged. They just see themselves kind of as having like a different approach to communication or whatever, I guess is what mm-hmm. it comes down to. But like, it's something that they're fiercely proud of. Um, and actually, uh, Ryan, the quote marketing intern, um, is fluent in American sign language. And I think I got some of this from him, but like, basically the idea is like, they just feel like they're different, not, not disadvantaged. And maybe that's what Paul's doing with the uvula thing. He's like in like some uvula community, you know, like we're, we're just, we're the same as you. That wherever he lives outside of Boston is, yeah. is just that. Yeah. <laughs> Lots hey, of the uvula free people. And eventually we should talk about this book, but why is there American sign language? Wouldn't you think that would just be universal? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I've only ever heard of American sign language. Uh, I'm assuming there's different variations of sign language and maybe it just evolved naturally the same way that, you know, spoken language did. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, because think about how cool it would be that that would be a universal language. Right. Yeah. Like, and instead, it's I'm not going to look this up. Let's save that for another episode. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to find out how many different languages sign language is available in. Yeah. Hey, anybody that's listening that is aware, you can just let us know, too. All right, so we'll get back to the book now. I'm going to do the synopsis, and I'm going to just, you guys, settle in because there's a lot of words coming your way now. Um, first of all, <laughs> and this is, I copy-pasted the entire synopsis from Amazon instead of cutting it down like I usually would, but um, he, he's been getting so much love from Stephen King, so I figured I would include what Stephen King had to say about the book, which is part of the synopsis. A tremendous book, thought-provoking and terrifying, with tension that winds up like a chain. Kevin at the end of the world is Tremblay's personal best. It's that good. Um, and then it goes into the synopsis-ish, but it kind of re- rehashes some of the bio. Brown Stoker, award-winning author of A Head Full of Ghosts, adds an inventive twist to the home invasion horror story in a heart-palpitating novel of psychological suspense that recalls Stephen King's misery, Ruth Ware's In a Dark, Dark Wood, and Jack Ketchum's cult hit The Girl Next Door. Seven-year-old Wen and her parents, Eric and Andrew, are vacationing at a remote cabin on a quiet New Hampshire lake. Their closest neighbors are more than two miles in either direction along a rutted dirt road. One afternoon, as Wen catches grasshoppers in the front yard, a stranger unexpectedly appears in the driveway. Leonard is the largest man Wen has ever seen, but he is young, friendly, and wins her over almost instantly. Leonard and Wen talk and play until Leonard abruptly apologizes and tells Wen, none of what is going to happen is your fault. Three more strangers then arrive at the cabin carrying unidentifiable, menacing objects. As Wen sprints inside to warn her parents, Leonard calls out, your dads won't want to let us in, Wen, but they have to 
we need your help to save the world. Thus begins an unbearably tense, gripping tale of paranoia, sacrifice, apocalypse, and survival that escalates to a shattering conclusion, one in which the fate of a loving family and quite possibly all of humanity are entwined. The Cabin at the End of the World is a masterpiece of terror and suspense from the fantastically fertile imagination of Paul Tremblay. All right, we're going to go over to spoiler talk now, which is where all discussion of this book is going to take place. So that's it. Then we're back for our wrap-ups. I don't know what to say about any of this. <laughs> the the I will say that the synopsis is story-heavy. Like, it does give you practically everything you need to know without spoilers. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it to you in layman's terms, right? Exactly what it says. Uh, we're introduced uh, to this family. Um, who is uh, um, have adopted a when um, right after birth she was a baby uh, and they adopted her from China is that correct yeah they yeah, were they in were China in Hong yep. Kong yeah and uh, you know so so a little bit of it is is kind of background on on kind of the family dynamic and and the who's who and and which uh, which dad is uh, you know the you know the kind of like more laid back fun one you know so you get a little bit of that and then yeah we're introduced to leonard kind of uh, out of nowhere just shows up on the property and uh immediately wins went over by helping her catch grasshoppers that she's going to study and then it very quickly turns dark after that now here's what i will say um i read the synopsis which is unusual for me and yeah i still didn't see any of this coming. you know what i mean like <laughs> Yeah. Um, he does, he does say that, that they, the, the people, the group of people who we're going to talk about, um, needs when Andrew and Eric's help to, to save the world, which is a weird statement to make when the rest of the, the synopsis talks about home invasion. Right. So like right. it's, it's, yeah. So I, I don't know where, where, uh, where else to go, uh, with that from a story standpoint. I can just say that right up front, um, when you go in reading a, a book that you know is going to be more or less a horror slash thriller slash suspense slash whatever kind of book, and like the first like twenty pages are from the perspective of an eight year old girl, like that ramped up my like anxiety right away. I was like, oh god, what's going to happen to this girl? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like she's so like, uh, you know, innocent and um, you know, just like a, a child because she is a child. And I was like, oh, this is going to fuck me up. I know it's going to fuck me up somehow. Um, so it got me on edge right away. And when Leonard shows up and then inevitably the other others from the group, I was like, no, I don't want them to show up because I like the when situation right now. So I don't know, Paul from the very beginning, uh, just set you on edge. And, um, without spoiling anything, I'll say that you are on edge the whole goddamn book. Um, so, uh, and with very, very few characters, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit, but like. There's basically seven characters in this entire book, um, minus people who are mentioned in flashbacks and stuff. But, like, the actual characters who, who contribute to the story are, as Livia's mentioned before, Wen and her two fathers, Andrew and Eric. And then there are the four um, people in Leonard's group that show up to try and, and get them to help them save the world. Um, There's Leonard, Sabrina, Adrienne, and Redmond. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about Leonard. He's he's kind of a you know really big guy and 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 the leader without a doubt of the of this band of people that that show up on, at the cabin. Um, you've got Redmond, who's uh, kind of an asshole, kind of a little brash, yeah, maybe rednecky kind of 
um, character. And then uh, Adrian and, and Sabrina, who really are, you know, interchangeable. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. I'm trying to remember, like, I know one of them is a nurse, but yeah, yeah, I don't remember which one. Yeah, they, they didn't really their their characters weren't I want to say they weren't fleshed out enough for the book. They were fleshed out just fine for for the needs of the book. But yeah, they were kind of indistinguishable from one another. Yeah. And so um, essentially uh, the the interaction between Leonard and when um, starts out very like friendly and and seems like it's going OK, but like it just keeps getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse until um, when sees the other people carrying like homemade kind of weird, wicked looking weapons. And she doesn't really understand what's going on because she's like eight. Um, but she's, you know, she's already feeling bad because she didn't immediately go tell her dads this person was here because she knows better than to talk to strangers and stuff like that. And so like um, the conversation gets to the point where she's like, I'm going inside now. And that's when um, Leonard tells him, like, you won't they won't want to let us in, but we need you. And um so she gets her dad's, tells him what's going on, and then like then like the real kinda there's like a like a it seems like siege like because there's these four people outside trying to convince these people inside who are justifiably scared, hey, we need you to do this thing. We're we're not we're not bad people, we're not gonna hurt you, but you have to let us in <laughs> and we're not leaving until you do. <laughs> yeah. The the one thing I will go further and say is that um I kind of expected there to be a little bit more of that, you know, where, where half the book is that they barricaded themselves inside the, the yeah. cabin and, and that the rest of the book is going to be um, these others trying to get in the cabin. Yeah, no, it's not like that at all. So it's not that type because because there right. is that type of book and or movie where the, the whole thing is is a is a survival game. Um, that's not what this is, even though from the synopsis and probably from what we've said, someone could believe this is, you know, two adults and an eight-year-old fending off four adults for 200-plus pages, and that's not the case at all. There is a story that goes much, much deeper than that. Yeah, and I'm really torn about how how much farther we go. Um, I'm not. That's it. That's it? <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's, that's it, man. That's um, all we can do with this story. <laughs> I mean, but that's the setup. Like, there's this kind of creepy, um, you need, we need you to help us save the world. Um, and then like, they're super like soft talking them between, you know, the, the group outside and the inside. They're like, please, please, you have to trust us, blah, blah, blah. And like, so it's just this, it's not like you're, it's not, it doesn't start out like this antagonistic kind of like do this or else, or, you know, we're here to harm you. It's very much like. Oh please, you you have to trust us. Don't understand what's going on, um, and then obviously, the story goes from there. Yeah, so that's like eight <laughs> minutes on this book. Um. <laughs> this all right. So uh, I, I don't I don't want to. I'm not drawing parallels uh, story wise, but um, like I was saying earlier with when and starting out with an like a girl in a in a horror story. Like immediately, I got like flashbacks to um, when we reviewed in the river by Jeremy Jeremy Robert Johnson. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that story went way different, where the kid was lost, fucking immediately, and it was like gut wrenching. Um, and like this story just starts out with like just the kid being there really screwed me up. And I just I remember I was thinking back to the the Jeremy Robert Johnson book, like about how like the kid being a part of the story was the thing that really messed me up. Um, 
So, like, yeah, at the beginning, I was like, oh, God, where are we going to go with this? Yeah, anytime you um, insert a young child into a, into a narrative, um, I think it amps uh, this type of narrative where, where you know it's going to be dark, um, you know, kind of amps up the, the, the tension. Um, because really, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, children are, are almost always the innocent ones, right? Like, what yeah. can you do by the time you're eight? You know, for us to not care about your fate, whereas adults, I'm not saying that's necessarily the case in this book, but, you know, uh, you know, potentially you could find out horrible things about Andrew and Eric. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what happens, but you you know what I mean? So you're you're always a little more open to the possibility that even your protagonists are not just flawed, but but maybe have uh, have skeletons in their closet. But, yeah, when you have a kid and the kid's eight, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever bad befalls this family we know the one person that doesn't deserve it is this kid so exactly um so interesting thing um i know i had read the synopsis before but i didn't really think about it but like in the in the synopsis it says um an inventive twist on the home invasion horror story i didn't really think about this as a home invasion horror story as i was reading it but it makes me think about how he did the possession thing and he kind of did like a, his own twist on on that, and um, and so now I'm like, yeah, this guy's really just kind of like dipping into some, uh, you know, classic themes in horror and and making them like like he's trembleizing them. <laughs> sure, and that's I guess that's what I was trying to get at. With this isn't your your survival story. Yeah, because you know yeah, he goes he, in a different direction. Yeah, the, the word home invasion just—that's I said—it just immediately conjures up like we've we've uh, you know put wood over all the windows, but then one person gets in and we somehow have to fight them off. You know what I mean? And then yep. another thirty pages goes by. So I mean, I've seen movies like that. I've read books like that. I'm sure. And yeah, this is this is just not—that's not what this is at all. This just reminds me of um, Stephen Graham Jones. How he'll take an idea and. Oh man, the serial killer thing with um least of my scars. <laughs> like the serial killer getting victims delivered to his house. Mm-hmm. So cool. And like yeah, I feel like Tremblay does the same thing when he does when he tackles something like this, he makes it his own unique kind of uh thing. <laughs> this is the sound of booked struggling to continue talking over the yeah, book. We might as well just and jump like, over yeah. to <laughs> yeah, talk. so um, here's what we're going to do. Um, Patreon uh, subscribers, you guys already know this, but for anybody who might be just be tuning in because they saw Paul Tremblay on, uh, you know, on the, the name of this podcast, uh, our Patreon subscribers, uh, almost with every book lately, get spoiler talk, which is where we go over there and talk about all the things we can't talk about here. So if you've read the book and you want to know what our thoughts are on everything, including the ending, um, if you have no intention of uh, of reading the book, but really want a more uh, a better idea of of all this stuff we're kind of dancing around. We don't do this on purpose. We don't want to spoil this for anyone who's going to read it. But there are some things worth discussing. And I'll just say, Rob and I have had no conversation yeah. about this. He yeah. he made an assumption about how I felt about something, and, and I I kind of you know addressed that, and that was it. So and that was in a text message. So. <laughs> Um, There won't be any time lost for you, but if you want to pause right now and go to patreon.com slash booked podcast, booked podcast, right? Yeah, it's booked, maybe. Whatever, you'll find it on Patreon. Uh, (laughs) Donate as little as a dollar a month, and you will get all previous spoiler talks, as well as all future spoiler talks, for as long as you are a Patreon. It's slash booked, by the way. 
slash booked, patreon.com slash booked. So uh, we'll be right back. Hey, listeners, we are back after just mere, like, blinks of eyes um, from what I think is a, is probably one of our bigger um, spoiler talks. I think our longest one was, like, 40 minutes, and this is not that, um, but it's a good 20 or so about a lot of the nuts and bolts of um, Cabin at the End of the World and so much spoiler stuff. So I would warn you, if you don't want... This book is best read unspoiled. I'm going to 100% say that, and I'm sure Livius will agree with me. Um, so if you're going to listen to the spoiler talk and you haven't read this book yet, please read the book, then, um, listen to the spoiler talk because I feel like there's too much stuff that we talk about that would absolutely lessen the impact of the story otherwise. It's our least contentious spoiler talk too, I think. Yeah, we totally agreed. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much everything. So, um, I hate to do this, but we're, we're going to go into wrap ups, right? Yeah. All right. I'm I would hate to do that. I'm, I'm wondering. Just, why. I feel like we always come back and talk about the book a little more, but like there's, <laughs> there's nothing left to say. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, fairly familiar with Paul's work. Read three novels by him, a number of short stories over the years. Um, he's admitted, you know, a friend of the podcast, someone we've met, someone we've had on the podcast before, and hope to do so again in the future. Um, no surprise that this book was really enjoyable. What is a continued surprise for me is that he continues to churn out books that are different. Um, so Paul's now playing in the big time. And what you see there is a series or books that um, are very typically very similar in style. Um, Stephen King, because we mentioned him at the top of the show, um, his books all have a very similar kind of thing going on there. And that's something that Paul has not gotten caught up in yet. I think that these, uh, these last three books all very, um, original in scope and very different in the type of book it is. Yes, they're all dark. Yes. They can all be kind of classified as horror slash thriller or whatever, but they're all, they're all very different. And, and I'm, uh, pleasantly, pleasantly surprised to see that that continues with, the cabin at the end of the world. It's super well written. Um, it's very emotional in parts. Um, and it, it's, it's very easy as we found out in spoiler talk to kind of put yourself in that situation, in the situation of some of these characters and ask yourself some difficult questions. Um, I really enjoyed this book. I mean, it's probably isn't going to be a surprise for anybody. I've loved all of Paul's stuff. Um, but I, uh, in, in discussion <clears throat> over at spoiler talk, I did say, and I'll repeat it here. I would put this um, squarely on on a plane with a head full of ghosts, a little bit ahead of uh, disappearance at Devil's Rock. So I'm going to give this one five stars. Yeah, I'll mirror what Livia said about um, enjoying the stuff that we've read about Paul before, and and you know, kind of knowing that we're we're in for some good stuff. And Paul playing, what'd you say? He's playing in the. Like the, the big time, right? Big time, yeah. Playing in the big time, yeah. All that I agree with. Um, with this book, um, I I was expecting something on the level of you know, head full of ghosts, uh, disappearance of Devil's Rock, something like that. Like because I know this is kind of like the the world that he's he's living in now, and um, I was right that was that was kind of where we we landed, but I think that this is definitely a step above those other two books. And, um, like, if I had to describe it to someone, I'd be like, Paul Tremblay came up to me, kicked me onto the ground, threw a book on me and said, love this. And I loved it. Like, it was it was just so um, 
it was it was uh, it was just rough. It was a rough read because of of the subject material and then the characters and how he made us care about them and and he made the situation so obviously unfair to pretty much everybody. Um, but we had to read through it anyway. Um, it was a great read. It was amazing. And, and I wanted, there was so much of what I wanted to happen that, um, you know, may or may not have happened, but I had so much personal like investment in seeing an outcome that I wanted to see, um, that I think he did a great job of just making a book that you, you care about, you have a stake in, which is not something that always happens. And so, um, I mean, he makes it personal for everybody who reads the book um, in a very good way. And it's well-written, as as we would expect from him. I don't know what else to say, man. It's just like a slap in the face. But it's like an, a slap in the face of awesomeness. It's it's one of the best books I've read this year. And I think it's amazing. Uh, it's it's five stars. <laughs> like It's, it's like very... a slap in the face if you're the kind of person who likes getting slapped in the yeah, face. Yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> It's that kind of. It's like that kind of slap. It's the good slap. Sometimes they choke you while they're slapping you. It just gets better and better. I don't know what's happening here. Uh, um, yeah, good, good stuff. Hey, I almost called for a impromptu season of the View this week. Oh wow, that's a big, yeah. That's a strong segue, and that's a big statement. Yeah. So. Uh, a number of months ago, uh, I watched um, through um, um, means that are not exactly legal, mm-hmm. um, an anime called Kakeguri. I think I'm saying that right. I believe that's Japanese for compulsive gambler. Uh, anime is Japanese for cartoon, maybe. I don't know. But at any rate. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I got that. Perhaps the guy who recommended it to me says to me the other day, hey, Kakeguri has a live action um, series where they've done the anime with actual you know, human <laughs> actors and it's on Netflix. Oh, no. Yeah. So um, I, I'm, I'm it's only 10 episodes. And that's why I said I was like, oh, it's 10 episodes. And if we just did like because they're like 24 minute episodes, I was like, this could be like three episodes of The View, like where we just do you know, three, three and four or whatever, you know, whatever it works out to, to, to get this thing done. Um, but it is, uh, it's really surreal. So I, we're not going to do an episode of the view, but if you want to watch something really trippy and weird, and when I say that, I'll, I'll give you the setup. It's a, uh, it's a school where a lot of affluent kids go. Um, but the, the social structure of the school all revolves around gambling. So you have, um, like the student council are like the basically the top gamblers in the school. And then you have everybody else who their social status is determined about by how much money they can make gambling. And if you fall into debt where you're unable to pay your debts, you essentially become, they say, a pet, which means that the people who are not pets treat you fucking terribly. So you become almost like an indentured servant to, you know, to, to the people who, who have money. Um, and of course, the, the catalyst for this, our, our, our narrator, our, our, our eyes into this is a kid who just got himself on that list. Um, but he meets a new girl who shows up who um, is, is, is looking for some action, I guess. And it's their kind of journey um, through 
um, many interesting and different types of gambling games. Um, but it's done in such a way that they're very true to the anime. I've watched six or seven of the, the live action episodes that it has a very surreal feel to it. Um, and definitely a lot of fun, but super, super weird. I know everyone has Netflix or everybody's using someone's Netflix account. What I see online the other day, someone said there's really only like four Netflix subscribers and everyone else is using their passwords <laughs> to watch stuff. So um, I'm going to recommend Kakeguri. I think it's K-A-K-E-G-U-R-U-I. But I, I'm, if you get that K-A-K in there, I'm sure it's going to get you um, to the right thing. I don't even know what to say about that. Um I probably wouldn't have not enjoyed that as a as a as a season of the view. Um just not my thing. But gambling, I don't know. Gambling. Dude, it's really cool. So I'll give you so the episodes are broken up really weird, like within themselves. So like in the first one, um like it it kind of ends halfway into the first gambling game, and then the second one like um, the second episode picks up with like the end of that one. So there's like a cliffhanger ending. Mm -hmm. And then there's another game that starts towards the end of the second episode. You know what I mean? So there's always this carryover. But the first one they do is like this kind of weird version of rock, paper, scissors. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, when I'm saying gambling, it's not yeah. like they're playing a very traditional like craps or poker or, or whatever. Like the first one is is rock, paper, scissors, but with, with a twist. Um, oh, all right. That's, uh, I'm st <laughs> still not on board, man. You, like, <laughs> even my passion for it didn't say like a no. little bit where you're like, he said it's like 24 minutes an episode. I should watch one and see what it's like. No, like, and this is, I think this comes down to like, I'm sure there's times where I talk about something completely fucked up and you're like, oh, here goes Rob talking about this again. Um, flags, like maybe flags. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did not do any research into flags after the last episode. That's fair. Um, you know, I think it's at that level. But I will. Can we segue into flags a little bit? So for why not? Um, <laughs> I did get a response from uh, Adam and Oshkosh, whose legs don't work. Uh, he sent me a text message. Um, those are fucking great flags. So I uh, I would like to congratulate. Um, Adam, who is, I, I don't I, this hasn't happened yet, I don't believe, but he is doing his own TEDx talk. Yeah, he's big time Oshkosh, now. Wisconsin. Yeah, that's very, very cool. And I'm uh, I'm proud of you, man. So good luck with that. If there's a, if there is video or, or whatever, please provide us uh, with, a, with a link. And then if, uh, if any listeners want to, we'll, we can throw that up onto our uh, book podcast listening group, too. Yeah, he's he's always been that, like, I don't know what to say about this guy, but, like, did you see what the name of his... Um... I was trying to remember. Uh, I didn't want to butcher it, so I'll let you. I think I have a feeling you may have this pulled up in front of you. I'm pulling it up now. The name of his his, his talk that he's going to do um, is "Smile and Give Someone Superpowers." And if it were anybody but him, I'd be like, "That is the douchiest, lamest shit I've ever heard in my life." But like, he makes it. Like, like he's, he's, he's always been a very positive person. Like he's all about positivity and empowering people and, you know, caring about what's going on in the world and stuff like that. Um, he, he's going to make this talk something that you're like, I want to go make someone smile and you're going to feel, you know, anybody else, it would be like, Oh, this douche is just trying to, but like this guy, Adam's going to make it, um, interesting is what I'm trying to say. 
I feel like I want to watch this, um, A, because, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, fondness for Adam. Um, but B, I'm probably not going to smile and give people superpowers, but maybe I'll understand what the, the opposite of that is better <laughs> if I watch that. What, what is what is the opposite, like frowning and uh, debilitating people or something? <sighs> Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I think that's about where I'm at now. I mean, do we have to talk about that 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 writers conference we were at, and what <laughs> Where happened you gave there? Someone a brain injury. Yeah, with your yeah. with your scowl. Yeah, yeah there was yeah. that one time. I won't say who yeah. we were talking to, but right, we were talking to someone, and it was just you know, oh, I know who you are. We know who you are. Blah blah. blah. We're meeting in person for the first time, and we did that whole like, oh, we should do something together because we do similar things, kind of thing. And Livius is just like deadpans, like I can't remember what you said, but it was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good or something like that. And I had to look at this person and say, I promise he's excited about this. <laughs> and then, like, a couple of weeks later, that person had, like, a brain injury or something. And I'm like, look what you did to this person. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, um, yeah, that's a compelling. I didn't, I could, I, I didn't remember that. I am the, the, um, glass to, um, to, to Adam's, uh, Bruce Willis. <laughs> wow. Um, hmm? and I was thinking as I was explaining, um, Adam, uh, and his like positivity in the world. I was like, how the hell did he ever end up like staying my friend for as long as he did? Because Livius, you know me. I mean, does it sound like the kind of person no, who would want to hang no. out with me? So, listeners have this real like weird. I get the feeling this weird impression about the two of us. Rob is not the really nice guy that everyone <laughs> thinks he is. That's the thing, and it, and he does a good job pulling that off in public. Yeah, I will I put say my that. Best foot forward, I really do. Absolutely, I don't, I don't bother. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You put a lot more effort into being more likable than I am. I know that. Yeah. I, well, um, I, I mean, it's not like I'm putting up a facade. It's just like, well, I, I, this is probably the side of me that people would, you know, be most comfortable with. Or something. I don't <laughs> That's know. true. Our next. So, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Before we get on to our next thing, Rob has a, a an announcement to make, and I will let him handle the numbers here. <laughs> I thought you were putting in some like exciting sound effects or something. No, no, that's just. <laughs> this is the probably the fifth time I've muted my mic. Um, the, this episode in case this stays in uh the, the sound of motorcycles um for anybody who doesn't know i do this show from sturgis or at least <laughs> that's what it sounds dakota, like yeah wow yeah yeah i, I travel <laughs> to south dakota once a week to do this podcast just so uh the listeners can hear the motorcycles barreling past my place yeah that's uh <laughs> i was excited that we had some great sound effects for um uh, leading into my uh, key page update, which is uh, this is a triumphant moment for 2018 for the podcast, because as we talked about in a previous episode, we were on the brink of topping the total page count of 2017, and we have now done that. So in 2017, we read a total of, I think, 18 books for 5,312 pages, and now... Now that we've finished Cabin at the End of the World, we're at 17 books, 5,436 pages. So we have beat all of 2017 within the first half of 2018. And more to come, um, but not starting next week. No. Um, yeah. That, uh, that milestone, we could have just continued to barrel on, and we decided, nope, fuck on. that. Yeah, hit yeah. the brakes on that. I will say that I spent a lot of time. Apologies to anybody who got a barrage of um, 
like Facebook notifications or something. I don't know if that happens when I update Goodreads, but I went and I updated the booked uh, Goodreads account and my personal Goodreads account for everything that we've, you know, read and reviewed up to this point. Um, and there was a lot. So apologies if you got like, you know, 35 notifications about us rating stuff on Goodreads. It was, I had to get done. I had to do some house cleaning. I had to catch up. Rob took a week off of work to update Goodreads. I did. I took a week off of work. Read two books. Read updated two books. Goodreads. I mean, Updig, yeah. It's Real productive. Week, Real productive. So now we're going to relax for a week. Um, we're still not 100% what the next episode is. So I hate to tease something that we've been talking about for a long time in case we don't go this <laughs> route. But a much mentioned episode could finally be happening next week. Um, and I'm not saying that to like build excitement or to vague, but I just don't want to say it and then have us next week be like, hey, we're going to interlude and talk more about fucking weird anime shows and flags, which is also a possibility. <laughs> um, but after that, we're going <clears> to <throat> review um, not a first, really a, a second, at least. Um, a book by a musician, but this time that musician is maybe more than one musician. Maybe it's yeah. multiple musicians. I, I'm not really clear. <laughs> yeah, it's a little ambiguous. Paul Tremblay yeah. would love it. The ambiguity here. Uh, we, oh my God, I went back to the residence official site and there's a different graphic that's equally oh, really? as disturbing. So I don't know which one you saw earlier. I saw a guy with a skull mask on, like chopping up like meat or something. Oh, I saw like a heart. That has like, like comes open and you see brains underneath. Oh no! This is then. There's a third one. This is a, a creepy baby, like with a chattering mouthful of teeth. <laughs> like keeps like starts off really small and gets bigger as like it's coming at you, and oh, it's this blood bait behind it. Yeah. So uh, in case anybody wants to know why I'm on the residents official website, the residents have written a book. Um, they are a band. Hold on, I will. Uh, I will provide. I'll provide some background music in case you weren't had never heard the residents. Oh, you play some music. I don't know if that's what I would call this. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, in two weeks, we'll be reviewing a book and the entire catalog of the band The Residents. Um, I I have only agreed to the book. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to listen to a few more of their songs and probably have some choice commentary there. Uh, the Brick Eaters comes out on July 10th, so we'll have an episode up. Uh, likely before that, I'm going to give you guys a synopsis um, for this weird-ass book. The Brick Eaters is an absurdist buddy movie of a story featuring a very tall and young internet content screener teamed up with an aging career criminal whose primary companions are, uh, are an oxygen bottle and a 44 Magnum. After a short crime spree cementing their unhinged partnership, they work together to prevent a middle-aged lottery winner from polluting the L.A. water supply with massive amounts of fluoride. Their adventures unfold via a wholly unreliable alcoholic narrator desperately avoiding the reality of spousal abandonment. How could you not read that? Yeah, that's a... God damn it, I went back to their page and I fucking babies there. Do not go to the residence page. There's just creepy shit. Yeah, I saw I saw a different thing this time. It was like a guy who had a big grin on his face, but the grin was way too big, and his tongue was flapping around. Doesn't look yeah. cool at all. I'm trying to find out because there were some questions based on uh, the the some things Rob had seen in the bio. I was trying to find the the list of members to see how many people oh, are yeah. in yeah, residents. Is it on Wikipedia? 
That's where I would go. Hey, this is weird. All right, so this might bear some discussion maybe the week of the episode. Much of the speculation about the member's true identity swirls around its management team. So we don't know who these people are. That's I'm really guessing. Weird. I'm going to have to read more into this, but I, I don't. That that leads me to believe that we're not really sure who the who the people are. Yeah, that's what I'm getting too, huh? Les Claypool and Gerald Cassell, who's from Devo, and Les Claypool is from Primus, have both been accused of being members of the band. Well, as a Primus fan, I will tell you that they're hev- that they are heavily influenced by the residents. Like they mention them in songs, and they you know have covered covered songs and stuff like that. So. Um, that's adding fuel to that fire that nobody cares about. <laughs> All right. Well, I care <laughs> exponentially more now that there's some mystery behind it. Yeah, so uh, a little mystique. That, and we probably are doing a Megan Abbott book in July and so on and so forth. And we'll continue to do this until people stop listening. And then for probably an uncomfortable amount of time after that as well. What a weird way to kind of wind down this episode. <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, you were like last 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 episode. You did that too. You're like, we're gonna go. <laughs> hey, do you remember that? No, I don't. You were just like talking, and then you're like, well, we're gonna go. Do we so, have more to talk about? I'm happy. I have nothing else going on. Um, no, no. I I, I think it was aside from the like morose kind of like downturn that you kind of drew, like led us in. Um, I'm going to say that I'm going to heavily push for the um, special episode being our next one. The one that Livius doesn't want to talk about just in case it doesn't happen. Um, I have been... It's not the thing that I care about, but I've been pushing this one for a long time. Livius, this is like his wheelhouse. And he's he's just never dedicated to it. So I don't know know what's going on, but I'm going to really push for that to be the next episode. All right. Um, thanks again for listening. I'm going to try to bring this up a little bit. Um, thanks for being a great audience and allowing us to bring this to you every week. I see it's just not me. I'm not going to create, I'm not going to be creating any superheroes anytime soon. <laughs> I know. You're, not, you're not making anybody smile. Go nope. watch that Bukaki show or whatever that lives. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not what it was. <laughs> All right. We'll be back next week until then. I'm still Livius Nudden. And I continue to be Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>